you know, we could have, we could have easily not broken up in 2000 and gone on to be band X, Y, or Z. And, um, and, you know, done victory lap after victory lap and been on tour with, you know, Sticks and Bon Jovi right now. Um, that sounds great. The History of Alternative Podcast. A historic look back at everything alternative. From Gish to the new double album, Seer, the music of Smashing Pumpkins has stretched out over decades, defining alternative music along the way with every song, riff, drum fill, lyric, and bass line. This right here is the History of Alternative Podcast. I'm James Van Alsel, and the podcast is sponsored this week by Wintrust. Go to Wintrust.com for locations and information, whatever you need to know from Wintrust. So this right here is part two of our history of Smashing Pumpkins. And last week, we sat down with Billy Corgan, and this week, we're freaking out. We're giving in. It's the rest of the band. Well, two of the remaining thirds of the band, uh, Jimmy Chamberlain and James Eha, are with us this week, and you guys were there at the beginning, back in 1987, back in 1988, what goes through your mind when you think about being in Smashing Pumpkins 30 plus years later? <laughs> James? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really think about it. Honestly. Just, uh, I mean, it's who we are. We've been, like you said, it's, it's been a long, long trip and it's, it's made us who we are. And, uh, made us who we are as uh as our professional jobs which is musicians i guess i don't know that's a big question <laughs> well then i'll throw it to jimmy yeah i mean i think you know it's incredible i mean anything you can sustain for that long i mean obviously the band has had its ups and downs and the comings and goings of personnel and those types of things but you know, the things that were important to us uh, remain intact and still connect us, you know, deeply. Um, you know, we're still, you know, creating new music and we're still, you know, in the game, so to speak, um, which we enjoy. Um, we still view the band very much as a creative outlet, kind of always as we always have. Um, so for me, I mean, it's just, you know, um, you know, to put it in perspective, my daughter actually turns 18 today. So it's like, if you want to, if you want to know how long you've been kind of hanging around, you know, having an 18 year old uh, walking around in your house will do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I have a lot of contemporaries that have kind of come and gone and, um, you know, it just says a lot about the band's commitment to its art and, and its music. The fact that we're still here, we're still, we're still, um, you know, we're still trying to make music that's culturally current. Um, we're trying to uh, reinvent ourselves, relanguage the music. We're challenging ourselves. The things that the things that made it interesting in the beginning are still there. So I think that's you know, once once those things kind of go away, once the ownership kind of goes away, then the band kind of goes away. But for for now, I think you know we're we're excited about uh, the future and certainly grateful for the past. And I want to bring John Manley into the conversation. John, meet Jimmy Chamberlain and James Eha. Hi, gentlemen. Hey. I'm a, a huge longtime fan of the Smashing Pumpkins. So uh, this is really uh, a killer opportunity. Thank you guys for taking the time to hang out with us. And we're, all, we're, all, we're already rolling. So we were just talking about what it was like or how it feels to be in this band 30 plus years after they started. Uh, James was a little sheepish about it. <laughs> it, was, it was a big question, but uh, well said, Jimmy. Um, I think that sums it up. We're grateful for the past, excited about the future. 
John, you want to just jump in? Yeah, I've got a question lined up already ready to go. Um, so, Jimmy, in 2009, you left the band, um, and then you returned full-time back in, in 2018. Are the Smashing Pumpkins like the mob, like you can never truly get out? Is that how this works? <laughs> Yeah, we've got a whole, you know, uh, we've got a whole uh, employee base of enforcers that show up at your doorstep, you know, and things <laughs> start. Capos. To- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, they make you an offer you can't refuse. Um, and uh, then you're kind of back in the band. No, I just think, you know, there's I mean, I think it's it's a testament to the individuality of the members. Right. I mean, there has to be. You know, the band is always, like I said before, it's always represented a, a, a lot of ownership for each individual, right? And that's, and I, and I maintain that today. Like, you know, things, think people change and things get murky, right? I had two, I had two kids at that time. Billy didn't have kids. It's hard to be in alignment, you know, as your, as your kind of personal lives change, it gets, it's easier to get disconnected from the band. And I think the greatest, well, one of the greatest things that's happened to the band now that's caused this kind of realignment is that everybody's got two kids, right? So it's like, you know, what better way to create alignment in a company than to give everybody two children that they have to look out for? Um, because then everybody's talking about the same issues, you know, over dinner or in catering. So, yeah, I mean, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, with that, even though I kind of, I've kind of come and gone, you know, I never felt like the main artery between me and the band was ever really severed. I mean, Billy and I, you know, we've had our moments where two, you know, alpha males, we, we, we come, we come to, you know, we, we were both very opinionated. Um, but the music, you know, has always been something that's joined us together and we've never really, we've, I don't, I don't remember any arguments or any, any divisiveness that revolved around music. So, you know, when you put it in, uh, when you put it in perspective, and you look at the things that are important uh, in and around a band like this, it it is the music, right? And that kind of congruency um, that brings you together um, that keeps that keeps things moving. So, speaking of the music, though, so then, what was it like watching Smashing Pumpkins go on without you for that time? Yeah, again, I mean, it was really, I w- I was really okay with those decisions, and I knew you know, the ramifications um, and and the issues that I was going to deal with, uh, you know, not being in the band. So I, I kind of prepared for that in advance. And, you know, there were times when I wished I was in the band, but I always felt like, I always felt like I had made the best decision for me and the band. When my heart wasn't into it, I didn't want to be up there faking it. And I certainly didn't want to be, you know, putting anybody else in an uncomfortable situation. Um, you know, not that, not that my decisions were always born of compassion because I was, you know, a young man with a lot of ego and, and, and a lot going on as well and still had growing up to do as we always, as we all do. So, you know, it's a, it's a learn, it's a, it's like music, right? People say like, when, when do you really have, when have you really mastered the drum set? Well, you don't really master it. You just kind of keep learning. Right. So, you know, being in a band is kind of like that. It's, it's, it's a, it's a life lesson that goes on and on. And as you mature, you're, you're, the hope is you can make wiser and more kind of informed choices. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, you've got to be, you know, okay to live with your mistakes as well. I'm just glad to learn from what you said, Jimmy, that this idea that it's harder to get along with people who don't have kids when you hate, when you have kids yourself, I'm glad to know that's universal. It's, it's, it's not just in my universe. It actually stretches out to the, to the band world. Do you, do your kids, I mean, obviously your dad to your kids, but 
are they aware of what you've done? Do, do they care? I mean, do they pull out Siamese dream and say, yeah, that that's my dad. That, that's, that's, that's in my genetic code. I mean, they do, they do, but they don't do that. They, they don't, you know, they don't sit around and listen to Pumpkins records. They're, they're, they're certainly aware. Um, you know, funny story though, you know, my son, when I left the band in 09, um, my son was only three. So, you know, Lucas had never really seen the band. And at that point I, I jumped into the tech community in Chicago here and really worked in the tech space till about 2015. I ran a, ran a company called live one, um, for, for a number of years. So Lucas always knew me as a kind of a day gigger. You know, I would commute, I had an office on Michigan and Wacker. So I'd commute down. And then when, when we did the Manson tour, uh, in 2015, we flew uh, the family down to, uh, Orlando cause we were going to take the kids to, uh, to, um, to Disney and to, uh, the Harry Potter exhibit. Um, so Lucas is standing on the side of the stage and the crowd is screaming my name. There's like 15,000 people in the crowd. And, and he, I look over and he's just freaking out. Right. And then it occurs to me that like, he's never seen me play in the band with a big venue. And and I walked off the stage and literally he looked at me and he goes, when did you learn to do that? <laughs> so it was kind of like, for him, it was a big, like, holy cow moment. Um, but they've since become jaded, just like the rest of us, you know. And, uh, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't allow me any, uh, any type of uh, praise in that regard. Um, they're very, you know, very stoic when it comes to that stuff. Well, you may have scored a few more cool points today because uh, somebody just did um, a Jay-Z Smashing Pumpkins mashup album called uh marcy project and the infinite sorrow and this is basically old jay-z tunes beat matched to some of your guys greatest hits it's pretty wild and that just happened i think like today it came out so you know you can brag about being on songs with jay-z now which should definitely earn you some more cred points i think i'll definitely be checking that out <laughs> although my kids are not they're not big jay-z fans i don't think my my daughter is very very eclect <clears throat> very eclectic she's more like Bowie cry wolf like that, that whole, that whole scene. So, but yeah. If um, anything else, John just put the smashing pumpkins legal team on high alert. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the copyright lawyers. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be going against rock nation anytime soon though. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I wanna, that'd be quite a battle. <laughs> yeah. I want to bring James Eha back into the conversation. I, I, I feel like we're neglecting James. Well, let's looking, dipping back into history, just a little bit more talking about the, the comings and goings. When Billy, Billy said uh, last week when we talked to him that dissolving the pumpkins in 2000, in hindsight, was the wrong move. Do you remember both of your emotions back then? Um, I'll let James, James go. <laughs> um, I mean, every album, I say every album cycle was, there was always a lot of drama. So... I guess it didn't, it didn't surprise me at the time. Um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, you know, I, I think, I think the band had burned pretty bright. So, um, you know, maybe it was time to step away at that time and the way music was shifting. Good time to take a break. I don't know. Well, and you, and you followed a creative path after that i mean you, you did your uh, solo album you uh, did your stuff with the perfect circle it seemed like you kept creatively 
busy and maybe it was, it was a good thing for you just spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, compared to like the way records and tours are done now, we used to be in the studio for six to nine months and every tour was a year long. So, you know, we had been doing that for a while. So it was good not to do that cycle and try other things like producing stuff. I had a label, I had a studio in New York with some friends and um, just do some other stuff just to recharge. And uh, yeah, it, it, it was, it was good for me to not be in a band that's going that, that hard all the time. Uh, Billy also mentioned yesterday that the release of Drowned was like a really special moment for like the history of that band. That was like a big touching point for you guys. Um, let's go around the Zoom as opposed to the room. Uh, what, like looking back or looking forward, I suppose, um, we'll start with James. What are you most proud of? Like what's like your, mo your proudest moment as a member of the Pumpkins? Um, you know, <laughs> I guess, um, for me, you know, it was good to write songs and, um, the songs I had on Siamese Dream, uh, Soma and Manny's were highlights for me. Um, and, um, for the record, as a fan, those were highlights for me too. So thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, uh, those are co-written with Billy, of course. Um, um, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I haven't. I haven't really sat back and like looked back that much. Um, but um, I mean, you know, there were always highlights going on. Just the, the touring, the records. Um, God, I, I don't know. All right, I well, that's James. Go for while. it. What is your <laughs> lasting, like your your proudest moment as a member of the band? Or if you have like a situation where you like, there was this moment that I just was like, how did we get here? Yeah, I just think that's it's really hard to quantify. You know, it's really because the band is really for me. For me, it's always been kind of rooted in present time. And I'm not much of a sentimentalist. Um, I don't really hoard, like, I don't have, like, all my laminates or all my T-shirts <laughs> or all my drum sets. I, I feel like that stuff should be out there being played or or, or being used or, or appreciated by other people. Um, so for me, it's just, you know, the fact that the band is still alive, that we're still kind of hanging out, that we're still friends after all these years. I mean, that's really kind of the biggest deal for me. Um you know, somebody asked me the other day, I've been doing a lot of interviews because um, I had a solo record out now, uh, a new solo record. And, and they were saying, like, what, you know, are you concerned with legacy? And I'm like, that stuff's not really interesting to me. I'm just more about, like, what are you doing now? Um, how are you spending your present time and not looking too much into the future and certainly not, you know, having your value predicated on the past. I mean, I, I think, you know, Melancholy obviously was a crowning achievement for the band. We worked really hard on that record. Um, there's some great drumming on there. But for me, like, you know, the band, the band stuff has always been, um, 
you know, the kind of rapper in which I rap myself as a musician. So as a musician, I mean, there's other, there's other high points for me, like cover modern drummer, like those types of things. Um, you know, being voted number one rock drummer in the world by modern drummers readers poll in like 2000 was a big deal for me. Um, you know, those types of kind of personal musician type accolades are, 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 are pretty important to me. Uh, whereas kind of the, you know, the kind of pop, recognition and the cultural status and those types of things not as cool to me as like you know Reading Festival 1993 playing with Rollins like those those moments where the crowd is just going crazy and you see just a sea of people you know bouncing up and down you know those were those were incredible times where you're thinking like holy shit like how did I get how did I get, end up here right or Lollapalooza playing you know uh Tinley Park you know, in 94, 93, whenever that was, and, and my whole family being there, you know, everybody who told me like, what's your, you better have a plan B if you're going to be a drummer. I mean, it's like, right? you know, those, those types of things were always fun, but you know, it's, it's, I always tell people that like, as a drummer, the, the biggest moments in my career have happened like right here in my studio at like practice time, right? Where those epiphanies happen or you're learning something new or I've got a new teacher now that's teaching me some really cool stuff. So if for me, it's always just about like, you know, living in present time and, and, and trying to evolve the process. We well, talked about being rooted in the present, which seems like the perfect springboard to talk about Seer. Back in 1995, Smashing Pumpkins delivered what was then a ballsy, artistic masterstroke, Melancholy. Here we are again, Thanksgiving weekend, we get a double album from the Pumpkins. I mean, two years after the, the core of the band got back together, you guys and Billy Corgan came back together. Uh, here you are with not just a new album, but basically two albums worth of material. Are you in your groove again? Are you, are you, are you feeling it? Yeah. I mean, we're, 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 we're working on music today. Um, you know, we're, we're working on music right now. Uh, in fact, that's, I'm in my studio right now, just reviewing, reviewing some new stuff, um, that we're going to work on later today. Um, yeah, it's good to be current, you know, it's good to be, it's good to be in the trenches. Um, and that's, that's where I prefer to be. Um, you know, whether I'm working on pumpkins or my own music or whatever, it's just, I just like to be in a situation where I'm in a, I'm in an architecture that allows me to evolve the process, right? And the cool thing about Sear was, you know, we were laughing the other day that, you know, we, we, we managed to make a Pumpkins record with no drum fills and no guitar solos, right? It was just like, never occurred to us like when we were doing it, but that's kind of how it ended up. Um, but it really, you know, it's, again, it's a testament to the evolution of the band to kind of challenge yourself to live in the current, you know, in the mainstream and create within the context of that and still have it sound like you, um, you know, those aren't easy things to do. Uh, and, and to not rely on the kind of tropes of, of the past, you know, to, to kind of put, you know, the, the smashing pumpkins record that everybody's expecting out there, you know, with the syncopated drums and the guitar riffy guitar stuff, because our, our, our parameters have always been so broad. I mean, if you listen, if you, you talk about melancholy, I mean, the songs from, you know, Ode to No One to Cupid Deluxe, I mean, the breadth of that music is pretty vast. Um, so, you know, it's fun for us to kind of tap into, you know, new languaging, um, 
new uh, new versions of the band and try to exist within those parameters and those um, and those um, you know in those limitations uh, and still have it sound like us. So we're 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 pretty excited about that and to be able to kind of come out of the gate crashing with with something cool like that. That's that's different. That catches everybody off guard because that's really. That's really what the band is about. It's not really about the regurgitation of, you know, those old records. Every record has been kind of different enough to where it stands on its own. And we've we've managed to come up with kind of new and integral languaging that that sets the music apart from what came before it, but still sounds very much like us. So we're at somewhat of a disadvantage. We're recording this podcast interview before the album comes out. So we've only heard a handful of songs so far. Mm-hmm set the stage for us when seer is available to be consumed in in its entirety what should we zero what should we zero in on no pun intended uh what, Trust what me, pun was intended this it is wasn't it wasn't yes. it's just <laughs> what are what are from both both of your perspectives what are the songs that you think we should really gravitate toward first what are your proudest moments on this new album well, I mean, I don't want to give, you know, I don't want to give the, the birthday present away before it comes. But I mean, I, I will say that, you know, the next the next song to drop is is a is a, is a bit of a rocker, um, which we're excited about. Um, there's some other very singly songs on the on the uh, on the album that we worked really hard on. I mean, we spent, you know, time kind of doing versions of songs and then living with them for a while and then going back and thinking like this ain't this doesn't really fit with the other family of songs and retweaking them and there was a ton of kind of pre-production work that went into the record before the recording started i mean billy started working on this record in january of 2019 so so he'd been writing some of these ideas and sending out sketches of these songs for quite some time and then when we finally recorded the drums, I can't even remember when we did it. Um, you know, the songs continue to evolve and continue to transform. So, you know, the songs are, are of a similar family, but they're very, they're very much different in their own right. So I'll let you, I don't, I don't want to give anything away. I'll let you kind of listen and then maybe we can, maybe we can come back and you can, we can have another conversation about what you think. Fair. That sounds like a plan. So new albums coming out. You guys have been together and in a band for 30 years. 85 years. 80, it's been 84 years. You are the meme from Titanic. Right. <laughs> um, I know you don't like to look backwards, but you have been such a fabric of alternative music from essentially the day that it got labeled alternative. Looking back, I got to ask the question, going backwards and, and thinking about your work as a whole for all, this, all these years, when it's all said and done, what do you want the legacy of Smashing Pumpkins to be? <laughs> I know that's a big, deep, heavy question, but I mean, you know, what do you think? James, what do you think? I mean, honestly, I... I you know, good songs, good band, but I, I, I just don't feel like I should be able to write what, you know, writers write and what fans think about us, but, you know, I, I, 
but maybe that, I mean, maybe that's your answer then. Like your answer would be, you did it your way and, and you didn't care. And that's great too. Yeah, sure. I mean, we were a different kind of band in a lot of ways and made very interesting records for a rock band during that time. And I, you know, I think we still have the mind, same mindset as we do new stuff. Um, God, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it's. I feel like it's not fair. We we put we put James on the spot. Let Jimmy think about the answer, and then he gets to go and sound well rehearsed and and ready to go. But uh, we're gonna put you on the spot too, Jimmy. What what's what do you want the legacy of this band to be? Uh, I think you know just that we're that we always challenge ourselves to you know not rely on the past to predicate the future. Um, you know, I think that's what I love about, you know, the artists that I listen to and the artists that I love are very, you know, evolutionary and revolutionary. Right. And that's, that's kind of where I like to live. Not that I'm some, you know, revolutionary drummer who's got, you know, something that other people don't. I just think it's from a mindset, um, from an ideological standpoint, it's just important for me to be moving forward. Uh, and the band is really representative of that. And, you know, it's not, I'm speaking for the whole band um, and saying that everybody is interested in doing things differently, um, which creates a powerful combo. Um, you know, when I think about my favorite artists like Miles Davis or John Coltrane or those types of people that, you know, took chances and, and, and threw, you know, huge piles of cash on the floor because they weren't interested in just continuing to replicate what proved successful, right? they were able to go and, you know, like Bowie, right? Like was able to have success, multi-generational success and continue to evolve and change the game record to record. And Neil Young, right? And took chances and, and, and wasn't afraid to alienate their audience be, to prove a point and to be an artist. And I think those are the things that uh, Brian Eno, you know, that are attractive to me, um, in, in, in the stuff that I listen to and the people that do have legacy that I respect. Um, I would say, you know, we've always done things, you know, and, and try to continue to do things for the right reasons to the, for the right reasons to us. Um, you know, and that's kind of how we move forward and we've left, you know, we've left money on the table and we've left fans on the table. Um, you know, we could have we could have easily not broken up in 2000 and gone on to be band X, Y or Z and um, and, you know, done victory lap after victory lap and been on tour with, you know, Sticks and Bon Jovi right now. Um, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is where James is hoping to hoping to get to. Um, but <laughs> but. I mean, not that that's a bad thing, but it's just not interesting to us or it's not interesting to me, at least. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think there's bands that are really good at that and, and they, they live within those parameters. Um, but for me, you know, the, the, the quantification comes from the change um, and the metrics, the metric has to be evolution, you know, and a constant um, desire to reinvent the wheel. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of what, that's the gas in the tank that keeps the band going creatively. It's interesting to hear you say that because I feel like, I think, I feel like that's incredibly 
accurate about the band. It's like you never settled for a sound, so to speak. Like there's that, you know, you're listening to Smashing Pumpkins, but it's not like you're trotting out 1979 version four. Right. And I think there's something to be said for that. And it's impressive that, uh, I mean, for better and for worse, you guys never decided to just stick with one thing. And as a listener and a fan, obviously, I think, you know, it goes a long way to watch a band that can easily, I don't want to say rest on its laurels, but like you kind of figured it out, right? So to speak, like, oh, we know how to write hit songs. And you could have just trotted that formula out over and over and over. And I mean, kudos to you guys for not doing that, really. Yeah, it gets harder and harder, you know, it's, it's not, it gets harder and harder to do that as you get older and people are looking at you and going like, look, you could just, you could just go on vacation and, you know, I could go play 300 seat jazz clubs for the rest of my life. And then every, you know, six months, just go trot out the hits and go play the festival circuit and make a big pile of cash and then go home. Um, <clears throat> which, you know, and we've, we've talked about this and, and, if that's the band we're going to be, then that's the band we're going to be. But as long as we're, as long as we have a creative foot in the door, then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to push the envelope. This is normally the place where we'd wrap this up, but Jimmy, you've mentioned David Bowie twice so far in this interview. What's your favorite Bowie album? Oh, it's, well, it, it goes back and forth. I mean, I think Hunky Dory is obviously one of my oh, favorites. Yeah. I like Aladdin Sane because of the great Mark, Mike Garson. Um, I just got a version of Life on Mars that uh, somebody sent me Rick Rick Wakeman's piano take from the from the from that track and it's it's I mean just the piano take alone is like a classical concerto it's so incredible um, I I I dragged my whole family down here the other day to my studio uh, where I'm at right now to listen to it because um, my daughter's a huge Bowie fan but I like you know low but I also like less dance I mean I like Tim Machine stuff I mean it's 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 really just what mood am I in? Like what flavor Bowie am I, yeah. am I, am I, am I wanting to listen to at any given time? But it's all great. I mean, it's all, it's all great. It's all, it's all of such high integrity and, and done to such a high ideal and so forward thinking. I mean, I know a lot of the musicians that played on that stuff and I know how dedicated they are to their craft. Um, I know Mike intimately, like we're Mike and I have worked together over the years, even on my solo stuff. So I know that he's a guy that's always uh, evolving his own process <clears throat> and, you know, I hope to work with him again soon. Um, but I mean, there, is there a, is there a bad Bowie record? I don't think so. I love black star too. I mean, I, I thought like Mark Juliana and Tim LaFay and those guys, I, I know those guys a bit and just, just, it made so much sense for them to be on that record. Just the, the, like the most forward thinking kind of jazzer guys from New York to play on that record. Mm -hmm. That was kind of Bowie's little secret, right? He always had, he always had those types of guys in the band that could play like beyond, beyond their, beyond their means. And, and, and really like added that other layer of sophistication to the music. And I know the question was rhetorical, but I think the answer is never let me down. <laughs> That said, James Eha, Jimmy Chamberlain, 50% of Smashing Pumpkins. The new album, Seer, comes out end of November. Uh, we're doing the show from Chicago where you are you are as iconic as the Daily Administration, Bozo the Clown, and Italian <laughs> Beef Sandwiches. So, Great. You, you know we love you. Thanks for That's doing this. Pretty, pretty, pretty good company we're in there. 
The History of Alternative podcast is recorded at the 101 WKQX Studios in Chicago. Subscribe on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't do drugs. Stay in school. 